Welcome into this archived episode of the original SA Talk podcast. It's your favorite local podcast host and retirement advisor, Zach Espericueta. With the changes to the original podcast and rebrand in May of 2021, the current events and interview follow-up segments were taken out of these archived episodes for easier accessibility to the interview itself. Most new listeners just want to hear the interview anyway. Keep that in mind if you hear any references made to other segments or when you hear some of the old podcast music. I really hope you enjoy this interview. Be sure to give the podcast a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, and a follow on social media at SAPod Network. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back, listeners. Today, we are joined by the founders and owners of Viva Brewery, Michael Johnson and Bobby Jones. They are backyard neighbors turned local brewery here in San Antonio that started in 2019 and actually just recently celebrated their one-year anniversary of business. So guys, how are y'all doing today? All right, we're good. How are y'all? We are doing great. We are so excited to um, to have y'all on here. And so, you know, I'll ask each one of y'all individually. So we'll start with you, uh, Michael. You know, how did this kind of come about? Take us a little bit into the backstory of how Viva Brewery started. If you don't mind, I, I do think it's proper to start this with a beer. You know, I saw Bobby um, drinking his <laughs> beer right there. So it, there wouldn't be any other way. We got into the beer <laughs> business for a reason. We have a little bit different journey and then how we connected. My journey was I was at the pig pen on Broadway, 100 degree day, wanted something really refreshing and local, you know, it just didn't exist. And I, I had this idea of a beer in my head. That night I got on the internet and researched a bunch of books to buy to learn how to homebrew. That's what started my journey. Bobby, you've got your own journey too, right? Yeah, so so my, my journey was a little bit different. Right after my first son was born, invited all of our family up to Dallas and bought a turkey fryer because I'd always wanted to do that. And uh, turns out turkey fryers are great for making beer as well. So I looked into what all that entailed and quickly I had beer fermenting in my wife's closet and spilling in her shoes. And that was like the end of my brewing career after about like scratches. <laughs> but I loved it and it always stuck with me. And what I love most about it is just figuring out how to make it better, right? Making a good beer is really easy, but it was always about how to make it better. And that's where technology and automation and a lot of things kind of came into factor. And so when I first ran into Michael's garage and saw kind of his setup, which is pretty typical of most home brewers, um, I quickly realized that uh, I could get back into brewing by putting it in, not in my house and in Michael's house and, and bringing a much more sophisticated setup to the table. And that's how we started going. We just kept making beer and nobody ever really complained about it. People started following us on Instagram. And before we knew it, uh, we had a brand name, we had a following and um, our wives were ready for us to kind of take it to the next level. And that was the birth of Viva. And y'all were neighbors, right? We were. We, uh, we were neighbors for about a year or two and started our friendship kind of the latter half. To Bobby's point, since the brewery was over at my house, we, we became quick friends and we were brewing almost every other weekend and having friends over, having the kids running around. It was pretty big family atmosphere. It was a lot of fun. That's kind of the funny thing about owning a brewery is once you start owning a brewery, you get to do everything other than make beer. So those were like the good old days. We were brewing every other weekend and sharing the beer and everything. And, and for the last year and a half, it's been all about raising capital, licensing a business, setting it up, hiring. We, all the boring we miss stuff. it. We, yeah. All the, all the boring stuff that you don't ever see behind the scenes. Yeah. We're, we're doing everything other than what we love to do right now and still having fun, but uh, miss brewing beer for sure. And so you said you bought a few books on how to brew beer at home. 
how did you develop that into an actual business and, and get the tastes and the flavor profiles in there that you wanted? It's, it's really kind of a two-part question. One is, um, I mentioned books, but I learned a tremendous amount from a podcast called Beersmith, and it's Brad Smith, and he has experts from homebrew all the way to mass production, and he brings them on, and he'll talk about one singular subject. And I'd just be driving to work and listen to it 15 minutes going in, 15 minutes coming out, and that was huge. The other thing is I'm, I'm a foodie at heart. My wife and I cook all the time. And the cool thing about beer is you're getting your flavor profile from water. You're getting it from the yeast. You're getting it from the hops and you're getting it from the malt. And they're all pretty clearly defined. And the, and the industry's done a really good job of giving descriptions for each item on what kind of contributes to the beer. And so if you've got that foodie mindset, you can put it together in your mind. So when I was at the pig pen, I knew what I wanted. And then once I started researching all these items, I, I kind of figured out, okay, this could actually work. And that was the vision for the Amarillo beer that we first launched. Making beers, actually, it's pretty easy. It's a very time-intensive process, but it's, it's pretty easy. I mean, if you've ever made a cup of tea before, you've basically done most of what it takes to make beer. The only added step is just putting some yeast on it. And, and those are the real heroes of beer making is the yeast and they convert the uh, sugary water and, and to turn it into beer. So the hard part now is being able to make what you want to make and to be able to do that over and over and over again. MJ, you alluded to the flavor profiles and you also kind of brought up one of the one of your brews the amarillo ale so how did you guys kind of settle on just a few different flavors when you started out that's a great question and i'm sure my history is foggy and not accurate but i'll tell you it anyways <laughs> for me it was again it was my vision was one beer that just super refreshing that you could have six of and not regret it the next day and as we kind of progressed in the garage and Viva became more of a realistic deal. We, we knew we needed a set of core beers. We love Mexican style lagers. We live in San Antonio. What goes better with comfort food than a nice lager? And if you're going to be in the beer industry, you got to have a good IPA. And so that wasn't traditionally Bobby and I's go-to style, but we researched the heck out of it, figured out if we're going to do an IPA, we're going to do it the Viva way, which is approachable and cleans up nicely that anybody can enjoy. So it was really with the mindset of, of making approachable beers, having a set of three or four core beers that when we're ready to launch into the market, we could get on the shelf, we could get on tap handles and have a billboard with the Viva name on it. One thing that I won't gloss over too much is the fact that we are a pretty mission-driven organization and our mission is and always has been to brew high-quality, approachable craft beer that represents the San Antonio culture and lifestyle and traditions. And, you know, for us, what that really means is it's pretty darn hot year-round. And so, you know, all of our beers have a pretty unique characteristic that they, they finish up pretty easy. And none of them are really that overpowering in terms of either flavor or alcohol content. So we really want our beer to complement all of our fiestas that we love to have and all of our engagements and all the delicious and spicy food that we eat. That's kind of the guiding light of how we how we think about the beers that we make. And then really it's, you know, rather than just throwing anything at the wall to see what works, we're pretty obsessive to make sure that what we do introduce has been refined and thought and iterated and iterated and is pretty perfect in our mindset. And so you were talking about you know, the San Antonio culture and all of that. Is that how y'all settled on the name Viva or how did the name actually come about? Well, Bobby introduced it. Yeah. I, I didn't like it at first. And then it just it <laughs> stuck with me. Bobby's the brainchild behind that one. If you've ever 
tried to like start something new, right? I mean, everybody wakes up in their thirties and they're like, Hey, I want to go do my own thing. And one of the first things you do, I don't, I don't care if you're starting a lawn mowing business. I don't care if you're doing a home decor business. First thing you do is you think about a name. I'd urge everyone to go out and just search for a name, right? Play the what if game. It's actually really, really challenging to come up with a name. Almost any domain name, business name. I mean, people have thought it and they've done it before. And so it was really unique to us. And it, I think it was in the middle of Fiesta three years ago that we honed in on the name Viva. And it was like, man, what, what represents San Antonio more than just one word, boom, Viva. Viva Fiesta, Viva San Antonio. And shockingly, somehow or another, the name wasn't taken. And so we, we quickly honed in on it as, you know, just a, a word that quickly captures the spirit and essence of San Antonio. And that's what we love and that's why we are doing what we do is this wonderful city. And so for us, it was a, it was a non-starter to not have the name. We were either going to be Viva Brewery or we were going to be Bobby and Michael's beer in his garage and, and nowhere else. So Now, what I find interesting, and when I first came across Viva, when I was going down the beer aisle at HEB, you know, I looked at it and I was like, San Antonio Brewery. Okay, I got to try this out because I'm a big craft beer guy. And look on the back and it said brewed in Austin. So I was a little confused, kind of looked more into it. And I did find out that you guys, of course, started here in San Antonio. So, but, but why, you know, why is it brewed in Austin? That's a great question. When we started brewing and people were receptive to what we were doing and, and loved the name and we kept getting really good feedback, Bobby actually got in contact with probably one of the godfathers of, of beer in San Antonio. When you think about starting a business, it's always really daunting. And there's an old adage in the beer business that the best way to make a small fortune in beer is to start with an even bigger fortune. You know, when we when we started surveying the landscape and thinking about, okay, we, we've got some beers we make that are phenomenal and people love them. Uh, we've got a brand name that we believe lends some credibility to what we're trying to do and allows our brand something that we can actually go out and, and commercialize. Now, how, how do we do that? So then we started studying other people's businesses. And, and one of the first things that we quickly realized was there was a lot of big production facilities out there that weren't operating at 100% capacity. And what that really means is there's a lot of uh, debt and a lot of investment required that returns aren't being realized on. And we, we kind of call it the field of dream strategy. A lot of people felt we're going to go build a brewery. We go build it and the volumes will come. And unfortunately, it's really challenging to think about where you're going to be in three to five years. And so met with uh, a very influential brewer here locally. And um, and he really took me aback when he was like, hey, listen, the last thing the beer industry needs is for you to go build a brewery. And that's the last thing your business needs. You need to be able to have a profitable business. And there's really two ways to make profit in this business. It's open a tap room, you know, where you can actually realize the full margin on what you sell or go contract manufacturer. And then that way, you know, you're not making this huge upfront investment. And then if San Antonio wants you to be this big brewery that you want to be, then you can actually grow into it. And so we say that there's two ways and it's because if you're operating a tap room, you're selling a keg of beer for roughly seven times what we sell our kegs to bars and restaurants at. So you got to sell a lot of kegs to make up for that margin loss. That's why it's it's really challenging to actually operate a production brewery. And so what we realized was, man, instead of focusing on production and instead of outsourcing our distribution, let's focus on our sales and distribution and customer service, lean into that and outsource our manufacturing. And so we went around the state 
we went and visited half a dozen breweries and we really wanted to find something in San Antonio because obviously it's a little confusing to see San Antonio brewery made in Austin. But where we ultimately landed was we found a world-class brewery in Austin run by one of the world's greatest legacies of brewers, the Sellis family. And so we brew up at Sellis. It's a fully automated facility where we know that when we have a batch of Amarillo brewing, it's the same batch every single time. We have the exact same bitterness profile. We have the exact same carbonation profile, the exact same DO levels. And so you know, we're never really concerned about the quality of our product that we're putting in the marketplace. And instead, we focus on things that we can control, right? Which is, let's say we sell a keg to a great restaurant partner of ours, and it's Saturday night, and, you know, there's some event, and they get slammed with business, they run out of beer, they call us on Sunday morning, we're there to go take them another keg. Whereas, you know, working with some of the other distributors, you don't always have that level of service. And so as we are building a brand, uh, we, we, we decided to lean into that service element. And that's what really has differentiated us and allowed us to grow uh, pretty rapidly. We hope to be at the place within a couple of years where we're investing millions of dollars and building tens and twenties of jobs at a plant in San Antonio. That's our goal. Uh, but in order to get there, we have to be responsible to ourselves and our investors. The last thing we want to do is make a splash, start selling some beer that people like, and then go under within a couple of years because we didn't have a viable business model. One thing to add on that, we're big data fans, qualitative, quantitative. We, we don't care. Whatever we can get our hands on, we're consuming and trying to understand it. The common theme we heard from a lot of uh, the influential people in San Antonio in the in the beer market was that the smaller breweries are inconsistent. And one of the reasons they don't make it to that next level is batch by batch, they're inconsistent and it turns customers off. And so sales gave us the opportunity to make it as consistent as possible without investing a bunch of capital, creating a bunch of overhead. When COVID hit, thank God we didn't have because it allowed us to be extremely nimble. And one thing I'll add, Zach, is that, you know, we are a San Antonio company. We employ San Antonians. Uh, we are focused focused on San Antonio uh, while the liquid is currently being brewed by excellent people in Austin. Our heart and soul is in San Antonio. Now, Bobby, you were talking about the, the growth that you've witnessed with Viva. And recently there was an article in the Business Journal about you know the distribution deal that you guys landed. And, and then also on, I've seen on social media recently in the last few weeks that you guys had to actually go out and get a, a bigger truck to start uh, delivering some of your, some of your beers. So uh, tell us a little bit more about the growth that you've seen over the last, what, weeks, months. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been an actually pretty fascinating. So, you know, when, when COVID hit, you know, our, our business was tooled 100% to sell kegs to bars and restaurants. That's what we set out to do. And when COVID hit, we didn't sell kegs for a couple of months. Um, now, thankfully, we made the decision to partner with Cellus, who then all of a sudden decided to just repackage our beer from kegs into cans. We pivoted and we started selling beer to, to HEB. And we, we were fortunate that we got into a few stores back in January pre-COVID and had that kind of jump start. But I'll tell you that the amount of growth that we witnessed was pretty shocking considering we, we weren't able to market anything at all. So we, we started with about two or three stores. By the end of August, we were over 50 retail stores uh, that we had grown into. It's pretty amazing. And it's a testament to two things, I think, really. One is just the brand. I think people get it. You know, we're fun. We're engaging. We're easy. 
and then our beer kind of backs that up. And so, you know, we always get really excited about whenever we have a new account and we sell in, but it's those repeat buyers that really get us excited and, uh, and mean a lot to us. And so it was the most frustrating about four or five months ever, April through August, when there's very little that we could do to actually promote our business. And so we did what we could. We continued to service our accounts, give the best service we could, but it was tough and we grew despite that. So it's it's been a complete rocket ship and just we're grateful and we're humble and we like to give back. We care a lot about San Antonio. In the midst of COVID, we were sitting on all these kegs and there's nothing we could do with them. Nobody was buying kegs. And if it was up to us, we would have just unleashed about six of them in a field and said, Viva Saturday, come on out. But you can't do that, right? So what we did do is uh, we decided to have a charity event and we sold growlers a beer, raised $2,000 and we gave all of that away. Um, and this is at a time when we're a startup business. And yet we felt that it was within our capacity to just take liquid that was sitting there and put it to work for some pretty good causes. We love partnering with folks. You know, he touched on our, our distribution with Benny Keith. And, and a couple of months ago, we were approached by a distributor from Austin. And they came to us and they said, we love your brand. We love what you're doing. We think we can make it a really big success in Austin. And we said, that sounds really attractive, but we're focused on customer service. We don't want to give any margin away if we don't have to. They made us a sweetheart deal. We had made a really good connection with Benny Keith about a year or two ago, and they went into a lot of the considerations when we were building our business plan. They gave us some world-class advice. And we brought the deal that the Austin firm had, had come down with us. That's what started our relationship with Benny Keith up again. And they said, hey, if, if you're actively considering a distributor agreement, we're interested. That's what started after long conversations and, and figuring out how to make the proper partnership. Benny Keith is now our distributor on cans uh, in about San Antonio and counties where San Antonio's travel. So like the Horseshoe Bay area, Corpus Christi, the Valley, Del Rio. So we're pretty excited about it, but it's not something that we ever intended on doing. Uh, to Bobby's point, we had, we had to pivot pretty hard when COVID hit. That's a great point. So, you know, we were blessed with the growth over the summer. I mean, it was all canned business and things that we hadn't really tooled our business for. We, we did everything we could to continue to service and meet it. Uh, but we, we realized a lot of pain points from a warehousing standpoint, from a merchandising standpoint. We were ill-equipped to continue to grow. And what we quickly realized was there's a complete connect between little things in the off-premise channel that, that lead to real differences in business. And what you really begin to see is that it's a totally different business selling cans to off-premise retailers versus selling kegs to bars and restaurants. You know, you, you're selling a lot lower volume and you're selling at a lot lower margin. And it's not as much of a kind of a personable relationship. It's not like we're sitting down with Zach and Amanda and getting to know them and, you know, hearing all about what's going on. You're talking to the HEBs and the, the Walmarts and the Whole Foods of the world and their decisions are, are made, you know, six months in advance. And so we quickly realized that between being able to innovate faster, having a partner who could better help us merchandise and ensure we had better in stock levels and be able to think about 
helping us travel to where people like to go on the, the weekends, it kind of became a no brainer for us. Usually distributors don't like to take on premise or off premise and not the other if they're in a market, but it was pretty critical to us to allow ourselves to retain our on-premise business because that's where we think we really do excel with our customer service and uh, being able to respond really quickly. I mean, it's pretty cool. I was up in Marble Falls a couple of weekends ago and was able to pick up a six pack of my beer. I was like, dang, that's cool. Look, we didn't go out and buy an 18 wheeler and nobody needs. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't be taking my office calls in my kid's nursery if, if we had truckloads of beer moving around every day. Let me explain that because I think this is the world's longest answer to a simple question, but we're going to keep looking in. We love naming our trucks. We've got a van we refer to as Antonio Vanderas. We've got a little box truck. It's a boxcar de la Hoya. The truck you're referring to, Zach, is an 18-wheeler of Benny Keith that we got the privilege of wrapping. We don't actually own it. They won't even let us drive it because we don't have a CDL. It has. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're searching for a name. Uh, we got some good, good advice out there on Instagram. And it was fun to play around with. You know, you kind of alluded to it earlier when you mentioned the the drive through fundraiser that you that you held during the pandemic. Um, but you know, going forward, you guys, of course, you want to be a part of the community. You want to be a part of San Antonio. You know, that's what you're trying to be all about with with Viva. And so, are there any other you know, whether it be events or other things you want to put on that you know here in the city? We give back pretty much any way that that we can. It's amazing. I never really felt like a popular person before until you start a brewery. And then you get people coming out of the woodworks who are like, hey, we need some beer here. And yeah, and so we, we meet literally every single obligation we physically can. Michael and I are both pretty passionate about not using anybody who's not a Viva employee or founder to go out and represent Viva. We've been to enough festivals where you've got that $12 an hour server who you show up and they don't really know much about the product and it leaves a really bad impression in your mouth. And so our time is pretty finite, but we like to use it as much as we possibly can. So guys, I have to ask, I'm going to go one by one here. You know, when it comes to your different brews, MJ, I'll start with you. What is your favorite? Hands down, the Amarillo. That was the whole vision. But I'd also say the El Nino is pretty good. We're excited to launch that here in March. <laughs> so hopefully you guys will agree. And Bobby? You stole my thunder. Yeah, no, uh, El Nino is my favorite. Always has been. It's just a great, easy drinker year round. It's got a little bit of flavor for those who like it, but not too much. It's a great beer. Are y'all constantly making more or do you think you're going to stay with your core set right now? No, that's a great question. Historically, we've been just kind of hamstrung in, in kind of warehouse space and what we could do. And that's the beauty of this deal with Benny Keith is they're all about innovation. They're able to help us with our challenges. And so this coming year, we've got El Nino launching. Uh, we've got a seasonal for the fall that we're really excited about. We're going to call it Viva Los Muertos. It's going to be a dark lager. And there's a light lager that we're working on as well. So there's a lot in the pipeline and we're thrilled and excited about it. And we're ready to share it with the folks. 2021 is going to be an exciting year for us. So, you know, I am not the biggest beer drinker. You know, this might be a naive question. How do y'all pick the different ingredients that go into it to make these flavor profiles? I want to say when we talked earlier on a pre-interview, mentioned that you're more of a wine drinker and it, it almost prevented Bobby and I from having this interview. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I, Michael is truly the artist when it comes to designing our, our recipes. So homebrewing is a great hobby and it's a lot of fun. I always, when I used to make beers before I met Michael, the thing that I'd fall into the trap of is it's like, man, I got 60 different grains to choose from. How about like a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this. And man, I've got like 40 different hops I can choose from. And, um, he was pretty quick to come to the table and be like, no, 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 Like if you want to actually have a real business that's replicable and at some point, God willing, profitable, we've got to have a harmonized bill of materials. So that was a mentality that we embodied day one. As much as we could harmonize our yeast, as much as we could harmonize our grain, our hops. Now that's not to say that we, we don't take creative liberty. You can do a lot with a little the only point i'm trying to make is it's really easy as a home brewer to think and come up with complications that are pretty unnecessary really the most important ingredient you can choose is the yeast strain yeast really does all the work in making beer it's pretty fascinating to see how different strains of yeast on the exact same batch of wort can have entirely different finished products that come out i mean a lot of the flavors that you taste when you're drinking beer come really from the yeast themselves it is a lot of just taste testing or trial and error you know it's a little both it's conceptual at first if you're making a pizza you probably know cotton candy is not going to work on it right (laughs) (laughs) and so when you're building a pizza you're trying to think of what's savory and what are things that are going to work you know when we talk about wine wine's a great product and it's got an amazing history the wine people get mad at me for this, but it's not as complex as beer is. Uh, with wine, it's grapes, it's yeast, and a little bit of the water. With beer, you got malt, right, which dictates color and whether it's bready or cookie. Or, and then you got the yeast, Bobby mentioned, that are going to give away esters and other complex flavors and determine how much sugar is in there versus how dry it is. Hops, which their oils like in our americana you get hints of lemon and lime no lemon and lime product in that beer all the flavor of the lemon and lime is coming from the hop oil Uh, and then the water concentration of minerals and so beer is an extremely complex liquid that i think is underappreciated and i think that's what the craft industry has been trying to do over the last uh, several years is to showcase what a beautiful product it can be and so bob and i are trying to honor that so we're, we're giddy about what we do like we could talk about beer all day and, and we will if you don't shut us up yeah. <laughs> no you guys you guys definitely sound like the experts when it comes to you know brewing home brewing and you know just overall being being a beer company and you know you might have offended amanda a little bit when you said it's more complicated than wine but uh, i think she'll come nope, around because i've actually <laughs> made my own wine and if, if i can do it anyone can do it so i know it's not that complicated <laughs> and what you're describing sounds extremely complicated so you no offense taken whatsoever <laughs> we, we like a good wine too you guys are are entrepreneurs right you started your own company and and what's awesome is that the story of starting in your garage you hear that all the time right that's always used as the story for entrepreneurs and you you literally did it so you know being entrepreneurs yourselves you know what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs whether it be in, in beer but really anywhere what what advice would you give to them i'd say find something you're passionate about so and i know it's cliche but We didn't set out to be entrepreneurs. We didn't set out to build a business. I think because we were having so much fun doing what we were doing and we had such 
positive responses, it, it set up the pathway for us to be talking to you today. You've got to be open to taking risks and you got to find the right people to do it with. We would never be here if Michael or I individually was trying to do this. We, we bring out the best in each other. We compliment each other to, to no end. I'd say whenever there were any times that maybe one of us was uncomfortable, the other, it, we were there to help lift each other up and kind of keep pushing forward. But I'll also say there were never any red flags for us. You know, th there was never any moments where it was like, man, we really shouldn't be doing this. And as a matter of fact, I'm married. I've got four kids. Michael's married. He's got two young girls. We both have full-time jobs apart from this. So if anything, we were probably looking for reasons to not become entrepreneurs. But, you know, it just kind of kept pushing in the right direction. And we just realized that there was a big need. There's a big demand. And we were in kind of the right place to execute upon it. But the biggest advice is if you think it's going to be enough time or a lot of time, you better like doing what you're doing because it's going to be about 10 times more work than you ever envisioned. Zach, it's, it's funny. I guess I really never considered myself too much of an entrepreneur until you just stated that, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's been a whirlwind for the last two years. I mean, nights and weekends for Bobby and I, and it's brute force and it's creativity and we can get emotional and excited. There's high highs and low lows. But at the end of the day, I don't think we ever intended on this happening. And to Bobby's point, he's exactly right. Like we would have looked for reasons not to do this, but that never came. The path just kept on getting clearer and clearer. So whether that's God inspired, we don't know. Um, we're firm believers. And we, you know, Bobby, thank you for those nice compliments, man. I agree. Bobby's everything I'm not. He's a visionary. He uh, always pushes me out of my comfort zone. I'm more of a control freak. And so if I can't control it or understand it, it scares me. He leans into that. So that's been a really good balance. Advice for entrepreneurs. I, I think Bobby's right on point. Either love it or it's it's going to be a job. And this is not once ever felt like a job, right? This is just something we're passionate about. We think it's going to serve a greater purpose. We think it's unique. We think we're building something special in San Antonio. And we get to see the fruits of our labor from that, which is really cool. So y'all have talked a lot about San Antonio. I mean, that's where, you know, y'all live. And so we always like to wrap up each interview talking about what legacy do you and do you want Viva to leave here in San Antonio? I think we could probably answer that very individually. And I think it'll change weekly. <laughs> we, were, we were just talking about legacy last night. You know, for me, the Viva brand has the potential to be world famous in San Antonio and reach out into other areas of the nation. San Antonio is so under-indexed on craft beer. Like, it's just now happening. There's some great breweries out there that have really led the way. You know, we hope to be the one, though, that really makes San Antonio a destination spot for beer. And I think if we can do that and we can honor San Antonio properly by making great beer, that's, that's a legacy I could be proud of. Yeah, I want to become the unofficial official beer fiesta. That is quite the legacy. That's like the um, goal. That is the goal here in San Antonio. Yeah. <laughs> as a brewery. Yeah. Hey, I think y'all can do it. Listening to y'all's story yeah. and y'all's passion, um, I don't see anything stopping y'all. Well, we appreciate it. We appreciate you inviting us to have a conversation. It's fun. We, we love talking to folks. COVID has kind of impacted this, but our ability to actually get out and, and meet people. So we, thank you for, for offering the invitation. It's been fun talking to you. 
Yeah, you know, that's why we started this podcast. We, same thing, we're people, people, and we miss talking to people. So amongst COVID, <laughs> we started a podcast so that we can, um, you know, talk to people as, do as much as we can. Well, yes. Before we go, I want to give you time to be able to shout out all your social medias, where people can find you. Um, where can they go and pick up a Viva beer? Uh, so our Instagram is Viva underscore brewery. That's really where we focus a lot of our attention on our social media. Right now, we're in most HEBs throughout San Antonio. We're continuing to grow. Specs, total wines. They should be able to find our six packs there as well. The best thing is, is if you're a listener and you're interested in finding us, we love for our fans to go to the bars and the restaurants and tell them, hey, you need Viva. It makes our job so much easier. We've probably only sold in one or two taps. Our friends have probably sold in the rest. <laughs> so anytime we can get some third-party validation, we're all about it. Yeah, and the other thing, I'd, I'd, I'd give a plug for our website. So if you go to www.viva.beer, we've got a store locator where we, we try to update it almost weekly. Uh, and you've got a real-time look of where all of our product is. You can go style by style. Well, guys, again, we really appreciate you taking the time, joining us on the podcast, telling us all about, you know, your story, your business, what Viva is all about, how much you guys mean to San Antonio and, and reversely, how much San Antonio means to you. And, and like Amanda said earlier, we really can't wait to to see the continued growth that your company has. Um, I I know personally, ever since I came across Viva, I get happy when I see Viva on tap at any bar I go to. You know, we talk about all the time. I'm always in the downtown area, Southtown area. And um, a lot of the bars that I go to when I see Viva, that is the first thing I order. So really excited to see your growth. That's awesome. Thank you, Zach. Thank you all. So guys, we'll be right back. And when we come back in the next segment, Amanda and I will discuss today's guest. So stay tuned. With the holiday season upon us, Spectrum Reach is encouraging you more than ever to support local. By doing so, you're supporting local businesses and keeping money in your neighborhood. It's more than a purchase. It's about standing behind the small business community that makes your town a special place. And that's what Home for the Holidays is all about. Spectrum Reach supports thousands of local businesses in Texas. Together, we rebuild. To find a local business to support, visit rebuildmytown.com slash Texas. Thank you for listening to this archived episode of the original SA Talk podcast. I really hope you enjoyed the interview. If you enjoyed this episode and are looking for more content, you'll want to hit that subscribe or follow button depending on which podcast platform you are using. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I do also ask that you please give us a rate and review. That really helps the podcast grow. Lastly, if you want to keep up with the podcast, check us out on social media at SAPod Network. Take care and Viva San Antonio.